Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. If you're looking for jewelry that makes an impact on your self-care routine and your style, Empowerography would love to offer you a discount code to one of our exclusive partners, Quartz and Canary Jewelry and Wellness Company. Please use code EMPOWER15 to receive 15% off upon checkout at www.quartzandcanary.com. Quartz and Canary is truly the place where spirituality meets style. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Christine Handy. She is a best-selling author, a breast cancer survivor, a motivational speaker, and a model. How are you doing today, Christine? I'm super. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to be here and share a bit about your story and your journey with us here in the Empowerography community. I appreciate you taking the time, and I appreciate you. Thank you. So, Christine, as I mentioned, you're a best-selling author, a breast cancer survivor. You're a motivational speaker. You are a Fox News breast cancer expert a humanitarian, a model, and certainly last but not least, a mother. How long did you work in the world of modeling? Or how long Um, have you been working in the world of modeling? Sorry. So to date, I've worked in the modeling world for 40 years, other than probably seven because of cancer and a couple other illnesses. So subtract the seven in between. And I've worked, yeah, since I was 11 years old. Wow, that's quite the extensive career. That's for sure. Yeah, I do love it. It's it's kind of like going home for me. So I do dabble. I still work for an agency and I do some here and there. Of course, that's not my bread and butter, but yeah. it does make me feel kind of like I'm home. Excellent. Now, I know you worked on some campaigns with some pretty well-known and big brands. Can you talk a bit about your experience as a model and working on these big campaigns? Sure. Yeah. When I started modeling at 11, I was in St. Louis, which is where I'm from. And then ultimately I moved to Dallas to be in a bigger market. And then from Dallas, I moved to Barcelona to work um, international. I worked for Elite Worldwide. Okay. And so, yeah, I think my biggest campaign was guests. I was a guest model after Claudia Schiffer. And I did other, you know, I worked for, I did big campaigns for Target and J. Crew, And, you know, I was kind of like JCPenney's go-to girl. So I you know, I did billboards and newspaper, which we did a lot of newspaper ads back then, and their catalogs and things like that. So I would say JCPenney was one of my biggest clients. Guess uh, is a pretty damn big one, too. Well, that, well, that was one of my biggest, biggest yeah. PR. But as far as money, JCPenney, I feel like employed me for a lot of years. So that was great. <laughs> <laughs> I was definitely a catalog model. Uh, okay, okay. Very cool. Now, you've been through hell and back and have overcome a hell of a lot personally. I know you have one heck of a story with regards to your struggle and your journey in dealing with breast cancer. Can you speak a bit on your story as a breast cancer survivor? Yeah. So 2011, I was 40 and I had an arm injury. I'm going to go back a little bit. Sure. And had an arm injury, which, you know, I had surgery and it was a torn ligament, which shouldn't be such a big deal. It turned into a monster problem. And after months and months and months of an undiagnosed or, and misdiagnosed infection, 
I ultimately, my right arm was fused and was fully fused. So a full fusion of my right arm means that they take, they took out my wrist and put mm. a, put a cadaver bone in and a cadaver Achilles tendon and then bone grafted it. Wow. So, you know, it's a, it was a tremendous, it's a tremendous story. It was a tremendous experience and it's been tremendous pain since that date. Going back, I was living in Dallas at the time. And when the doctor botched my arm, I ultimately went up to New York city to a, a surgeon up there. Mm-hmm. And, and he was the one that he was the one that repaired as much as he could and fused my arm. And I was in New York for my six week post arm fusion surgery. Now, let me repeat that. I'm in New York city at a hotel about to go see a doctor with a cast on my arm from my fingertips to my shoulder. I've just had my arm fused and I'm trying to figure out as a 40 year old woman, how am I going to drive? How am I going to do laundry? How am I going to take care of my kids? How, how am I going to live the rest of my life now disabled? Right. And it's my diamond and arm and I'm in the shower in the hotel. Well, I'm trying to take a shower in the hotel and I notice that they don't have any liquid soap. And so I call down to the desk and I say, can you guys send me up some liquid soap? And the hotel in New York is like, absolutely not. We have no liquid soap. And <laughs> what I had done for the previous seven months when I was constantly in cast was I would hang my arm out of the shower and I would just pour liquid soap over my shoulder. And that's how I would really wash my body. Right. And so I'm in this hotel in New York city and I'm frustrated and I'm in pain and I'm trying to figure out how am I going to, you know, be now disabled in my right arm. And and I took a bar of soap and I'm trying to wash my body and I felt a lump in my breast. Wow, man. And quite literally five days later, I'm at home by myself yeah. <laughs> and, I get a, and I get a call that I have breast cancer. And I, I literally don't remember anything from that day yeah. other than that call. <laughs> Jeez. So subsequently, I went through 28 rounds of chemo, which is 15 months of chemotherapy. And to date, as in 2021, I've had 23 non-elective surgeries between between my arm and and the breast cancer. So let's go back to the breast cancer. When I was diagnosed with breast cancer, I really, for the past, for at the time, for the past 30 years, I'd been really dependent on my external shell, what I looked like, what I could provide to society was what I looked like. At least that was what I thought. And so my value was completely wrapped up into what I thought society's value of me was. And, and so at that time I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose my hair. I'm going to lose my looks. I'm going to use my value, so to speak. Yeah. And so not only was I diagnosed with a, you know, obviously a mortal, you know, fatal disease. Mm -hmm. And I had a doctor tell me my percentile chance of survival, which by the way, I think doctors should never say. Because that steals joy and hope in your oh, life. For sure. Because God is the ultimate physician and he's the one that, you know, we, we're on his time schedule, not a physician's. And so, so I start to go through chemotherapy and I'm thinking to myself, I have zero self-esteem. I have no worth in this life. And so I really wasn't fighting at that point for my life because oh. I just, I thought my life was over because of that dependency on society and culture and beauty and external facade. Yeah invariably and with great luck and and great friends, my perspective shifted and I was able to find the value of who I was inside and through my faith and and pouring into that during those quiet moments through chemotherapy, I was able to find myself and my true identity, which had nothing to do with 
the bags that I could carry. I had nothing to do with the street address or mm-hmm. blonde hair, you know, the blonde hair that I just lost. And, and so it was quite a sh- shift and quite a transformation, but one that I came through with a lot of grit and grace. Yeah. And the reason I say that is because, you know, how we go through those life altering traumatic events can change our perspective for our whole future. For and, sure. And so fortunately I had a lot of courage and I had a net of women help me. And so that really propelled me into doing what I do now, which is try to help other people. Amazing. I mean, if, if anything is going to shift your mindset, it's going to be something that life altering for sure. Yes. Wow. Now, again, this is obviously, as you mentioned, a very life altering experience, which led you down a completely different path in your life. How have these experiences helped shape the Christine you are today, do you think? You know, I, I get asked that a lot and it is a, it's such a valuable question. I loved who I was, but I, I like who I am maybe more now mm-hmm. because I know who I am for one. And I have an ability to inspire and lead and help other women and help other men. But I, my focus is more on women and yeah. self-esteem only because I had such a low self-esteem. And it's funny, people... People think that models, you know, we're in on magazines, on in magazines and catalogs, on TV and commercials and things like that. And they think, well, that person could not possibly have a low self-esteem. And, and the truth is so many models who are so dependent on what they look like get kind of cut down a lot. Right. Because we're in an industry where we're shaped by what we look like. And so I've spoken with many models who are friends of mine and, and most of us have had a very low self-esteem during those times. And so I've, I've been at that lowest point of my life. And so I know what that looks like. And so I, I try to teach women about self-esteem because we make choices based on our self-esteem every single day. Mm-hmm. And so to nurture your self-esteem, to take time out of your day, to work on your self-esteem and really think about how you're speaking to yourself and who, you know, who you have surrounding you that are speaking into you yeah. and what, and what does that look like? I mean, everything, absolutely everything in life starts with the foundation of self, self love, self, all of it. I mean, it all starts within us. And when you have people nattering in your ear about this and that and telling you that you don't look properly, you don't look good enough for this, you don't look good enough for that. I mean, it's got to take a toll. I can only imagine that, that those issues, self esteem issues, and what must be completely rampant in the model industry in the modeling industry yeah i i think so i think the somebody gave me the story and i think it's so true if you walk into a party and you you notice the prettiest girl or the prettiest you know the most gorgeous guy in the room most Uh likely you're not going to go up to them and and that's true of most people and so typically those people are very lonely yeah for sure yeah but we we as a society don't think like that no we don't we don't so, Christine, I'm sure there are so many people, had they gone through what you've been through, they would have just laid down and not fought and given up, as you said, at times you wanted to. This, I think, speaks very highly, speaks volumes to who you are as a person. Where did you find the courage and the strength to keep going and keep fighting? And what was your motivation? I mean, there there must have been times where you just wanted to give up and 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 that's it. How did you overcome those times? How did you get through? I know you said that you had a network of people to rely on, but what else did you do to get through that? You know, I did have a good team of women stand by me and I had good family and and, and incredible friends. 
And what, but what they did was not only did they help me physically, they helped me emotionally and spiritually. Mm-hmm. And so when they poured into me and, and taught me more about faith and, and really standing strong on, you know, principles in the Bible, then I was more able to, in those moments alone, because people aren't around you all the time. Right. There's tons of time when you're going through trauma and pain and surgeries and, and chemotherapies where you're by yourself. And so during those moments, when people weren't pouring into me, I was trying to pour into my faith and figure out what did that mean for me? Mm-hmm. And so I think if I did not have an understanding of what faith and spirituality meant and of God, then I don't know how I would have gotten through it. And, and even to today, because, you know, even last year I had another surgery and another devastating illness and, and I'm in constant pain from the, the fusion on my arm. And so I still each and every day. I have to have a foundation and what my, and what my foundation is, is, is faith and, and God and my, you know, what everybody worships something, right? Yeah. We got to figure out what we worship. Right. And, and what I was worshiping prior to all these illnesses was things and stuff, but it turns out you can't take it with you. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) There is no U-Haul behind the hearse. And And there's probably, there's probably not enough room in the, in the grave, in the hole, in the, in the ground. Right. And so, and so what I took from all of that trauma was, wait, this is an opportunity, not to, not to just show people what I'm going through the trauma, what it looks like to have courage, but also after what it looks like to have courage Uh because people are watching, people are watching, people are watching you every day and how you react is the only control we have. True, true. So did you also, I got to ask then, did you also find out who your true friends are? Because they say it takes experiences like that to realize who your true friends are. So I didn't have to eliminate a lot of people, which I think think says a lot about who I chose. Mm -hmm. But I also think that, you know, what I hope that people understand is you have to have, you have to be a good friend to have good friends. For sure. And and, and there are moments in my life where I've had to eliminate people gracefully mm-hmm. because those voices weren't serving me. Yeah. They were condemning, they were shaming, they were critical. I, I'm critical enough of myself. I don't need other people to be critical of me. For sure. I, I love that you said and pointed out that you have to be a good friend to have good friends. That's very important for sure. Right. We can't just expect people to show up and, and take care of our kids and take care of us. You know, we no, have to, exactly. not, I don't mean, it's definitely not transactional. That's not what I mean at all. Yeah. And it, it's not about if you do this for me, I'll do this for you at all. Yeah. Yeah. Now you say your personal motto is there is always purpose in pain, but we have to be willing to share the story, which you have done exactly that. You wrote a book about your experiences. Can you tell us a bit about the book, the title, when it was released and all that good stuff? Yes. So my book is called Walk Beside Me. The first release was in 2016 and the second release was in 2017. It's been a pretty powerful book because it's very, it's a very vulnerable story. It's a fictional depiction of my life, Mm -hmm. but I put a lot of interesting things about myself that weren't very flattering. And I think it's that those pieces of that puzzle that touch people's lives because you know, it's, there's no reason for me to get up on stage and, and, and be on podcasts and say, you know what, my life, you know, I've had these moments of trauma, but you know, I've, I, I have this great life and I have these great friends and I have all this going for me because that's not true. Right. Right. You know, that's just a filter on social media. Yeah. And it's, it's the vulnerability and this sharing of the really dark moments and the deep moments where people really say to themselves, okay, I'm not alone. 
Yeah. I'm not the only one that feels this bad. Mm -hmm. And that's how we can really touch somebody's life. For sure. It's like, it gives others permission to stand up and share and tell their stories. It does. And it gives people, literally, it gives somebody permission to say, I'm just not alone in this world. Yeah, exactly. Which is so important. That connection and having impact on another human being's life. That's, that's what it's all about. That's what life is all about. That's what living a good life is, is sharing and and having an impact and helping others. I always like to tell people I have post-traumatic wisdom. (laughs) That's great. I love that. (laughs) That's my claim to fame. (laughs) That is awesome. Post-traumatic wisdom. I love that. That's brilliant. (laughs) It's true though. I do. (laughs) (laughs) I believe you. So was the process of writing your book incredibly cathartic for you? I mean, how did you find that process of putting your story into words on the, on those pages and sharing it with the world? You know, it was quite intimidating to be totally honest because it was such a long story and I wasn't sure what to put in and what to keep out because a story can't go on forever in a book. Right. And so I had to be very careful about what I put in, meaning there was too much content. Uh And so that process was very difficult. But on the other hand, I had a lot of content to use. Right. And so it kind of worked for me and worked against me. And ultimately, I wrote a story that was about 120,000 words. And I hired editors to actually hire. This is a great story. I hired two editors, one from New York and one from California. And neither of them knew my name. They didn't they couldn't look me up on social media. They couldn't look me up on anything. So they had no prejudgment. Okay. And. And they both sent the manuscript back in, in kind of the same time frame. And both of them had taken out seven different chapters and almost every single piece of content that they said, this, this story doesn't need this was exactly the same. Wow. <laughs> and, and so their part, which by the way, is very humbling because you, you have your story and you're like, wait, I need that in my story. And, mm-hmm. and when both of them confirmed that those, those chapters, and those are big chunks, right? Yeah. That those chapters didn't push my narrative forward then I was comfortable enough taking those out. Uh-huh. And so, you know, the process of writing a book is challenging, but so many of us say, I want to write a book and my story should be on paper and, and, and they should, uh-huh. but it's, it's really the courage to say, okay, I'm just going to start. I'm going to start with an outline. I'm going to start with a typewriter or pen and paper, computer, whatever it is. And I'm just going to start wherever that leads me. I'm going to, I'm going to take a stab at it. And that's just kind of what I did each and every day when I, you know, stood in front of my computer going, what do I write about? How do mm-hmm. I write this? I just kept, I kept writing. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's courage. I think that holds true with many, many things in life though. I mean, starting a business or going on a trip or for certain people, I mean, it takes courage. You've got to, you can talk about it all you like, but that isn't going to get it done. You just got to do it. That's it. Just jump in skip the fear, face the fear and and just do it. Yeah. And I think one thing that for me, and I know for other people, they're afraid of failure. And so was I. Yeah, of course. But absolutely. But you fail if you don't put it out there. That's right. And failing, I mean, failing is how you learn. That's exactly. just, you have to, you're going to fail. It's inevitable. That's part of life. And you just, I guess the difference is whether you pick yourself up, dust yourself off and try it again, or you just give up. That's, that's the difference. You just, you just got to keep going, keep trudging forward, keep pushing and just do it. Stop talking about it and do it. What's funny. Cause you know, from a, in general, this is just a general 
term, but most people are very enthusiastic in the beginning of a project and very enthusiastic in the end, but a lot of people quit in the middle. And so if you know that, and you know that most, a ton of people quit in the middle, then just keep going because you're ahead of the odds. Yeah, 100%. And I mean, I've seen a meme, I have a meme, a friend of mine sent it to me and it's got two guys and they're digging for diamonds. They both got pickaxes and one is so very close and he drops his pickaxe and he walks the other way and the other guy keeps going and you could see how close the guy was to get to breaking through. And it's just basically saying you never truly know how close you are to moving to that next level. So right. just keep pushing, keep doing it. Right. Right. What a great story. Now, I also heard that your book is being turned into a film. Can you talk a bit about that whole thing and how it came to be, the name of the film based on your book? What's it going to be called? Can you give us any details on any of that? Sure. So my book is being called, uh, the film version is called Willow, the feature film. Okay. And Willow is the main character in my book. Mm -hmm. And, And so they took that from there. It was supposed to start filming last May. Of course, COVID hit. Yes. <laughs> Damn COVID. <laughs> not, not like, not recently, May, the year before. Yeah. And so, you know, Hollywood's coming back, but it's taking time. So mm-hmm. yeah, the project is in the works. It really is a, a depiction of my story, which is amazing because a lot of times books go be made into films. Yeah. And they change a lot of it. Right. And so I'm very excited about the script because it mirrors my book very closely. Mm-hmm. That's got to be incredibly fucking surreal for you. Like, how did that, how did that even happen? How did it come to be? Well, you know, I really, the last chapter of my book in particular, I really wrote it to be the ending of a film because I always had hopes and and dreams of it becoming a film. Uh And I really didn't tell people that necessarily. And so right after it was published about a year after an entertainment lawyer approached me and we had some really interesting talks for a few months and then that fizzled out. And I just said to myself, you know, you got to keep going. And it just wasn't the right time. It's yeah. not timing. It's God's timing. And, and so about a year after that, I live in Miami and a, and a group out of Miami approached me and they said, you know, we're going to start pumping PR into who you are and what you stand for. And then we're going to announce a film. And I was like, okay, well, who wouldn't sign up for that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You'd be foolish to say no yeah, to that. Give me the contract. Yeah. And so they did, they spent a couple months of, you know, we, we made videos and, and they promoted me and it was great. And that was fun. And they're really a great team of people to work with. And then they had hired somebody to write the script and the script had nothing to do with my book. Mm-hmm. And I literally said to them, how did you, how did you make a sci-fi film screenplay <laughs> out of my book? <laughs> and they, and they came to me and they said, well, you know, Hollywood's really going towards sci-fi and, and this and that. And I just said, I can't be a part of this. Wow. Sci-fi from, yeah, oh from my, my book. <laughs> so ultimately that closed, that part of the chapter closed. Yeah. And then about a month after that closed, a gentleman from Boston who is a Oscar award winning screenplay writer approached me and he said, my wife was gifted your book. I love it. I want to write a screenplay on it. I get paid, you know, almost a million dollars a screenplay and I'm not going to charge you anything because I just want to be a part of this film. And so I was like, okay, I will sign the contract for this. <laughs> yeah. And we, you know, I hired a great entertainment lawyer and we, we've got a deal and, and he wrote the screenplay and, and he's been kind of charging this whole project. And it's been great, really interesting project and a great man. And so it's been fun. It's fun to work that's on. 
that's phenomenal. What an experience. Like I, I can't even imagine how that must have felt. Someone wanting to turn your story into a movie. <laughs> that's, yeah. It's cool. it's surreal. It is surreal. Yeah. <laughs> So in addition to all of this, you're a member of the board of eBeauty. Can you tell us what eBeauty is all about and how you became to be a board member? Yeah, so eBeauty is an incredible organization. And what we do is we gift women wigs during treatment. And they're free, free of charge. We have gifted over 55,000 wigs in the Holy United shit. States. 55,000 wigs in the United States. And this is so important because when women are in active treatment and they lose their hair, it's very devastating. And one of the most difficult things to do is, is to not have anything to put on your head. So, and, and wigs are very expensive. And so what we did, we, well, I didn't, but this woman, Carolyn Keller started an organization and she takes what we take in donations of wigs. And then Uh we turn around and we've partnered with the Paul Mitchell salons Uh And we send our wigs that we get from donations to the Paul Mitchell salons and they wash and, and style them. Uh-huh. And then they send them back to us and we redistribute them. We've also partnered with L'Oreal who gives us grant money. And so with those two partnerships, we've been able to do all of this as a team. And so I, I went on the board about four years ago and I hope I'm a contributor, but you know, we just, we've partnered with recently, we've partnered with hospitals during COVID to get these wigs out. And, you know, you can just go to our website, ebeauty.com and pick a color, pick a style, pick the length of hair. And we literally will just ship one out. So it's, it's, it's a free resource and it's a great resource for a multitude of people. That's incredible work. 55,000 wigs. Now, do you guys only distribute to citizens of the U.S.? For now. Yes. Okay. Yes. That is incredible work. Yeah. Now, sorry, go ahead. No, I just said thank you. 55,000. That's phenomenal. Just phenomenal. And how long does it take then when you ship the, the wigs out that you guys have to the salon, to Paul Mitchell salons to, and get them back? How long is that process typically? It's about three weeks. Okay. Our, big, our biggest maybe handicap is, is money. Right. So we, we raise money because of the shipping costs. Uh-huh. And that's all we really, the shipping costs is our biggest expense. Yeah. Okay. Now, you're doing so much work based on and around your experience with cancer. How did the opportunity for you come up to be a breast cancer, breast cancer expert for Fox News? Well, I'm a breast cancer expert from the patient perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that is critical. I mm-hmm. think that I honestly think that, you know, news organizations, and especially when it comes to medical, the medical community should have patients' perspectives. Because if you're coming from a doctor's perspective, it's very different. Yeah. And so I feel very lucky that I can speak about the breast cancer community within the breast cancer community, but also about the breast cancer community's issues and about treatment issues and an all mirage of different things that happen within the community. And so it started about four years ago. And typically I do a lot of interviews during breast cancer awareness month, but that's not always the case. And oftentimes they'll send me, you know, research reports, which keeps me in the know about a lot yeah. of topics about research and, and a lot of, there's a lot of hope in breast cancer research right now, which is great. And so I do stay kind of current yeah. on, on all the different researches and, and drugs that come up. And so I, I do, I really love doing that for them because again, I think it's so important because the medical field is, they've got their own right opinion. They've got their yeah. own, you know, whatever, but you know, from a patient perspective, it's very different and, and important. 
For sure. Absolutely. Because it, it makes cancer, the disease relatable. Like you can relate your story to other people and other people can relate to your story. I think that's so important. I don't know why they don't do that. And maybe they do. They should do that with a lot more diseases that, that people are suffering with. And it's just to help educate the patients so they know that they're not alone, first of all, right. and they become more informed on the personal side, not from a doctor's perspective. Exactly. Exactly. It's so important. For sure. Now, you've really dove into doing humanitarian work. You are also the president of the Board of People of Purpose. Can you tell us what that organization is all about and how you got involved with that cause? Sure. So it's an organization in Palm Beach County, and we're trying to change the landscape of recidivism. I speak, I'm obviously a motivational speaker, and Mm -hmm. I speak in prisons. Um, The state of Florida hired me many years ago to speak in, in prisons. And I, and I take it very seriously. And I really love that group of people because they, they want hope. Right. Yeah. And so when you speak about hope, you really touch so many different lives. And so one of the prisoners reached out to me on social media after he was out of jail Mm -hmm. and about three years ago, and we developed a friendship. And he said, I really want to start an organization to help other people in Palm beach County, because that's where he was in a prison. And I said, well, you know, I'll help out. And ultimately that became a board. It's called People of Purpose. And I'm the president of the board because I'm obviously contribute and I have passion for what he's trying to do. Mm -hmm. And the landscape of recidivism in Palm Beach County, the rate of return is like 92%, which is a huge, huge number. And so what we're trying to do is educate and give inmates Mm -hmm you know, equip them with tools so that when they get out of prison, they have a job to go to. Yeah. And so that's kind of the work that we're trying to do there. Okay. Now, when you go into these prisons and and speak, what are you speaking to the prisoners about? Like what kinds of things do you talk to them about? One thing I like to start with when I get there is, you know, I've had a lot of prisoners say to me, I'm really afraid to get out of jail because then I'm going to go back and do what I did. Mm -hmm. And I'll say to them, well, you might as well just stay because you can be a prisoner with, you know, behind those walls, right. In a Mm -hmm. a prison, but there's so many of us that are prisoners outside of those walls. Yeah. And so what does that look like? Right. We're prisoners, Mm -hmm. we're prisoners of fear. We're prisoners of, of, of devastation. We're prisoners of trauma. We're prisoners of anxiety. And so I, I try to make them feel like they're not alone. Yeah. And I also try to make them feel hopeful about second chances. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's kind of that's what I go into trying mm-hmm. to accomplish it. Yeah, I love it. Now, was this type of work, call it humanitarian, philanthropic, whatever you will, was this always something that you did? Or was it like, was it part of who you are as a person? Or did you experience, did your experiences and journey awaken these things and purpose in you? You know, prior to all of my illnesses, I would write a check and I felt complete with that. Mm-hmm. And after my illnesses, I decided that the check wasn't enough and the check really was less important than showing up. And so my humanitarian work has been much greater and, and I don't expect anything from it. I get great joy from doing it. And I get great joy from helping other people. I get a feeling of, you know, I, I got a feeling of responsibility after I went through all that trauma. You know, I had a lot of people stand up for me and I had a lot of people stand in my life until I could take care of myself. So I feel about my humanitarian work is I'm standing 
up for people, but I'm also standing in for people until they can stand on their own. I love that. Why is this type of work so important to you? Why have you decided to make this your mission, your purpose? Why is this such a huge part of who you are now? What's interesting when I was, you know, modeling and career and a mom and a mother and and doing all those wonderful things and important things, I just felt no responsibility to do anything different for society. Mm -hmm. And I think that I also believed that I didn't have a big enough voice to help. And so I thought, well, if I just write a check, then that's, that's my voice. Yeah. And after my cancer and after my chemotherapy, I, I still kind of had that impression of, oh, I don't have a big enough voice. I don't have a big following on social media. Nobody's going to listen to me. And how can I really help change the world? And, and, and that was a self-esteem problem. And once I get over that, once I started to really build my self-esteem and my self-care, then I thought to myself, no, I do have a voice and I can change the world. And once I realized that, because we all can, it's easy to say, right? It's different yeah. to do. Um, but once I had that internal prowess, so to speak, and I started to work on humanitarian things, I realized how big of a voice we all each, we, every one of us has. Mm-hmm. And I started to pour into it more. The bigger my, the bigger, the better my self-esteem, the more I poured into it. Because yeah. I was like, wow, if I can help one person, I can help 10 people. Yeah. And if I can help, help 10 people, I can help 100 people. And it just kept multiplying. Amazing. I think that's a big problem for people is they think, well, what, what can I do? I'm only one person. What, how am I going to make a difference? And that's a big thing for a lot of people. And that's why I think that's part of the reason why a lot of people don't jump on board and do things because they think "Ah, I'm just one person. What, what difference am I going to make? Well, the other thing about that, I think is again, I think it was rooted in self-esteem. Like for instance, if you follow me on social media, you will hear me say all the time, good morning, Everybody have a great day, but today we have an opportunity and a privilege to help somebody today. So go get them. And I say it all the time and I think people get sick of hearing it, but to be honest with you, if it just tells, speaks to one person and that one person reaches out to somebody or that one person goes and helps somebody that day, that's a multiplier effect. Yes, for sure. That's the only reason to say it because, but somebody might look at it and go, you know, that's kind of embarrassing to say all the time. Or, you know, what if people think I'm a dork or what if people judge me? Who cares? Yeah. Let them judge you. Yep. It's not personal. That's their heart. That's right. And other people's opinions of you don't fucking matter anyway. It's none of your business. People are so dependent on other people's opinions. Honest to God, when, when that doctor said to me, you have this percentile chance of survival, that was the last day I gave a shit about anybody's opinion. <laughs> Good for including you. His. Good including his. Good for you. His. Good. Yeah. Exactly. What inspires you the most about all the work you're doing? You know, and this doesn't, you know, in, in my old self, I'd be like, oh, this is prideful to say. I inspire myself because I live in constant, I mean, constant pain and it is torture. I grind my teeth. It's hard to sleep. I mean, there's so many other physical side effects to chronic pain. And, and I get up each day and my mission every day is to serve other people. How can I serve other people? How can I get somebody to not go through as many hoops as I went through all the trauma I went through? How can I stop them for having to go through all that trauma to figure out, you know, what life is about, which is about serving and loving other people. And so you know, at the end of the day, and I checked my list off, like how many, you know, how many people was able to serve today, then I can sleep better at night. And I don't know what other people's processes it, you know, are, I read books about other people, I'm motivated by other people, but I know what my process is. And I know that I motivate myself. 
And, and I'm just going to continue to do that until, you know, until I take my last breath. Listen, yeah. you know, I have moments of fear of getting cancer back, but I don't live my life in fear because I know that every single day I'm doing my job and my job is to serve humanity. And at the end of the day, if I get cancer back tomorrow or if tomorrow's not promised to me, I'm okay with that because I did what I was supposed to do. Wow. That's incredible. Amazing. You are an incredibly resilient and inspiring human being and woman and just amazing. Absolutely amazing. I think I just have a lot of grit and brace. (laughs) I love that that word grit. You're the second person today to use that word with me. I just, I love that word. I mean, I, for, for me, I, I live on God's grace each and every day, especially his mercies because of, because of my chronic pain. And so if I can be if I can be graceful in this world to other people, but you know, grit and grace, they, they go together because you can't through, get through life with just grace. You have to grit your way through it as well. For sure. For sure. To date, what would you say is your biggest high or your greatest win? I would say, gosh, I have so many personal wins. I would say the level of my self-esteem is my greatest win. Each and every day I wake up and I'm proud of myself and I feel good about myself. That's my greatest win. I love it. What do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful? I think my determination. You know, I mean, I have overcome more things and, and things that we haven't even talked about on, on this podcast. And I am determined to not only survive it, but to thrive through it. Mm-hmm. Because I think it, all those moments when you are going through such trauma, those are such teachable moments to other people because they're watching and they want to see how you react to it. For sure. And if I can react with courage, then that gives other people courage. Courage and strength, grit and determination. Yeah. Speaking of success, how do you define the word success? What does that word mean to you? I mean, I don't really define it like the world defines it. I define it by my relationship and my measure with God. And so my success is based on, you know, what, not, not just, it's not about doing, right? It's about, it's not, it's not about doing, it's about being. Yeah. And so that's my measure of success, but it's, you know, it's great. Like I, I go to Harvard, I'm getting my master's degree, you know, my book's becoming a film and all those things are flowery and fluff. And it's, <laughs> I don't mean to, I'm not dismissing my achievement. Yeah, no, no. But those are, those are moments in time and those are mo- seasons in our life. Mm-hmm. But every day there's voids of, of space where I have to say to myself, like, okay, well, who am I measuring my life by? And it's really my relationship with God. Well, when you've been through what you've been through, and again, like you said, you're not dismissing these things, but it's just, it's part of the journey, but it's not the be all and end all these things, right? Well, those things can be taken away. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I don't, I don't want to depend on things that can be taken away. Yeah. I used to, I used to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I don't want that life anymore. What would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before learning it? What was your life like after learning it? I mean, I think my biggest transformation was the dependency of external, my external shell, but not just my external shell, like, you know, beauty and the allure of society and the allure of stuff. And to give up that dependence and to completely transform that to be dependent on faith, I think has been my biggest transformation because those are pretty extremes, right? Yeah. And I, I was on the extreme on both sides. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, definitely. I was definitely a consumer. I was like, (laughs) oh my God. Uh, and, and now and now I could care less. I could care yeah. less about the bags that hang in my closet. I could care less about the labels. I could care less about, you know, other people's beauty. That doesn't impress me. Mm-hmm. 
It's funny how ex- life-altering experiences change your entire viewpoint. And it, I'm sure it doesn't do that for everybody, but it's just interesting how it changes your entire viewpoint on so many things in life, on life in general. Yes. Yeah. But again, it's all in our reaction. I've seen people who've gone through trauma, who isolate and and really go into a shell yeah. and don't want to be around any people. They, they're bitter and they're angry. And listen, I'm not judging that. Mm-hmm. That I understand it. I didn't want my life moving forward to look like that. Yeah. Well, you made a conscious decision that you it's weren't going to live like that. So. It's a choice. It's our reaction. It's our reaction. Yeah, for sure. What would you say is one of the best pieces of advice you've ever received? Let go and let God. Oh, I like that. What makes you feel inspired or like your best self? When I can forgive. Who in your life has had the biggest impact on you and why? One of my very best friends. She was there the moment I wanted to take my life. She was there for 15 months standing by my side when I was going through chemotherapy and she continues to stand by me. Beautiful. That's Friends like that are far and few between. And when you find them, you hold on to them for sure. Yeah. And they inspire me. You know, women inspire me. What is one of your favorite quotes? Well, I usually say like, oh, like God, but I already said that. Oh. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, I do preach about this all the time. There is purpose in pain. It just, yeah. it's just the act of doing it. And I truly believe that can, cause pain can paralyze us yeah. and it's understood. Right. Mm-hmm. But if we can look at it in a different light and say, okay, there's going to be purpose in this and be vulnerable about it. Then I think, you know, that speaks to people. And so that's probably my favorite quote other than like, oh my that, God. that also goes back to mindset. You have to have that mindset. You have to shift your mindset to get into that zone. Well, I don't think I, I realized that when I was younger, because yeah. I don't think I'd ever been taught that. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I think what, what people listen to, and it's so important what we listen to, what podcasts, what on TV, what's, you know, in front of us and who we surround ourselves mm-hmm. with because we can learn every day. Like somebody, somebody's going to learn from today from this podcast. And that's, I wish I had learned that Yeah, much younger. Well, you know it now, and that's all that matters, right? We can't go back. So you just keep moving forward with those lessons and carry them with you and teach them to others at, along the way. Yeah, 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 exactly. Christine, what does the word empowerment mean to you? Well, I mean, from a visceral perspective, I just took in a very deep breath and, and kind of let it out because empowerment feels very, feels like courage to me. Mm-hmm. And I think we can empower ourselves and we can empower other people. And I think it's courage. Okay. What is the most recent investment you've made in yourself? Recent. Well, I did actually, this is such a, this is an interesting one. Probably nothing you've ever heard. I did take back a couple commitments that I just made because, <laughs> because, and that's an, that is an investment to myself because yes. I was finding that I was just, I, it just wasn't working. It was too much. Yeah. So that's the, yes, that you're absolutely right. That is a personal a investment. Back. 100%. Yeah. I'm taking a step you, back. Yeah. You're looking after you. Exactly. Which is the most important thing. You need to do that. We all need to do that in order to serve others and impact others and help others. We got to start with ourselves. You have to be, you have to look after yourself first. Exactly. 
Okay, we're gonna we're gonna start a little rapid fire section here. So the next group of questions just be one, two, three word answer type things. Okay. Okay. How would you describe yourself in one word? Courageous. What's the first thing you notice about a person? Their soul. Early bird or night owl? Early bird. Money or fame? Fame, I guess. But for, <laughs> but that's not fair. That's not fair. I, and the reason I say fame is because if I'm ever famous, it's because I've touched lives. Yeah. If you could teach the world one thing, what would it be? Self-care. What's one thing you want but cannot buy with money? Love. If you could change one thing about the world, what would you change? Judgment. If you came with a warning label, what would yours say? I'm detached. If you had a theme song that played every time you walked into a room, what song would that be? I raise a hallelujah. Okay, that concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. (laughs) (laughs) Keep going, that's good. (laughs) Christine, if you could go back and change things in your journey, would you change anything about how your story is played out? It wouldn't change the characters. I wish I could change what I was pouring myself into. I wish I could change what I was listening to. I think that would have changed my life. Okay. What are you most proud of? I think we talked about this. (laughs) (laughs) And I think I said something different, but I am very proud that I had the courage to write the book. That's definitely something to be proud of. Like you said, I mean, it's about sitting down and doing it. And how many people have you personally come across that you can think of have said to you, I want to write a book? I mean, hundreds, thousands, how many actually do it? (laughs) Not enough. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So kudos to you. You deserve a pat on the back for that. I think that you should be proud of yourself for that. Thank you. If you could set up a billboard anywhere, where would you put it? And what would it say? I would say probably New York in Times Square because it gets so much visibility. Uh Mm-hmm. And I would probably say there's pain and purpose. Just use it to help other people. Awesome. What do you think is the most common reason for people failing or giving up? I think people quit a lot in the middle. I think mm-hmm. people I think people are afraid and I think people are afraid of judgment. And I think that's when they quit. And I think that goes back to self-esteem and pride. Yeah. What would you say is one of your biggest failures or we'll call it life lessons or teachable moments? That sounds a little bit better. Um, and what did you learn from it? You know, I I really modeled for my kids for so long, you know, that life and value was, you know, in, you know, buying things and street address and, you know, who you hung out with. And, and it wasn't because I was trying to teach them that, but that was what I was modeling for that. And I have talked to my sons and just said, gosh, I modeled that so wrong. You know, what really matters is love and serving. And, and, and I'm hopefully modeling that. I know I'm modeling that for them now. I just hope Mm -hmm. I didn't, I hope I didn't screw them up too much. But that was my biggest failure, for sure. If you could sit down and have a one-hour conversation with anyone in the world, alive or dead, who would it be and why? I'd like to talk to Oprah because she talks to a lot of really wise people. And I think I'm right there in that group of people. And I'd really love to sit down and have a conversation with her. I think we would both benefit from it. Yeah, a a lot of people say Oprah when I ask that question. And I've had a lot of people say similar to that, but think about all they say think about all the people that she's talked to and all the wisdom she's gained from those people i could gain that wisdom through her speaking with all those people right exactly yeah who do you turn to when you feel stuck i turn to a lot of podcasts yeah i mean i I do have a network of friends that i speak to but 
you know, people are busy and people mm-hmm. have, people have lives and I can't always get in touch with them. So I listen to different podcasts and, and typically they're preachers. And I take a lot of time out of my day to pour into different people preaching. Okay. I need that to fill my soul. Yeah. If you could step into my shoes, what would you have asked yourself that I didn't ask you? I think a lot of people ask me, you know, how did your kids fare through the chemo and all the illnesses? Okay. How did your kids fare <laughs> through that experience? It's a very complicated question. <laughs> I'm sure it is. I think in the beginning it was easier than the end. I think that trauma affects the whole family. Yeah. And they were young. They were 11 and 13. And I think if they were open to having therapy, which they weren't at the time, they, mm-hmm. you know, said no, I think they would have been better off if they had. Yeah. And you can't convince an 11 year old boy to go into therapy. You just right. can't. Yeah. When you make a mistake, Christine, how do you move on? Well, I have to really spend time forgiving myself uh-huh. because typically if it's a mistake, it's something that I'm trying to forgive myself about. Yeah. And, you know, if I lose my temper or if I'm impatient or things like that, and I get frustrated with myself for doing it, but that's just self forgiveness, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. If you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? You know, we got this. I can take care of you. I will. And it's funny that you said that because I do use, I have a picture of me as a child in my bathroom in front of my mirror. And I look at that picture often and I say, I got you. I'm, we're good. I can, I, I will take care of you. I love that. And I think that's amazing. I think we could all take a lesson from that and, and do that. Yeah. I think everybody should. It's For sure. So powerful. I'm sure. Christine, lastly, if you were to deliver your last 30 second speech to the world, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? Prayer changes lives. Pour into your faith. Amazing. This, this conversation, honestly, Christine, it's been so incredible and inspirational and you are a true inspiration. Your, your story, what you've been through, your experiences, your struggles, and all the work you're doing now is just an incredible testament as to your character and and who you are as a person. Thank you so much for being part of the Empowerography community and sharing your story here and your journey and for being part of the Empowerography community. I'm very happy to have you as a member of the Empowerography community and honored. So thank you so much for taking the time to be here and share today. Thank you for sharing my story. It means a lot to me because I do hope that it can help other people inspire them. I'm sure it will. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Christine Handy. She is a best-selling author, a breast cancer survivor, a motivational speaker, and a model. Thank you so much, Christine. I hope you have an amazing rest of the day. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca, follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast, and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.